This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I'm your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I will stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe that this beauty we can find truth in how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions, comments, alternative interpretations, or would like some help. Let us begin. It has been a while since uh, my last podcast, and uh, I ask uh, listeners forgiveness. Uh, I have been in the midst of working on a theology degree in the past three weeks or so. I've been writing papers, studying and taking final exams. But yesterday I finished for the semester. I took three courses and in two of them I know I have an A. One of them is still out. But I'm confident I will do well because of all the study I was able to uh, to put in. So uh, thank you all for your indulgence and it's, it's good to be back. I am recording this podcast on December 13th, and we are in the Christmas season. Now, last year, I read Dickens' Christmas Carol in its entirety, so I'd like to point you to that series, beginning at episode number 20, and then uh, a few episodes at the time. I believe I was uh, reading something else from Shakespeare along with it at that time. This year, I thought for a Christmas bonus special, I would read T.S. Eliot's The Journey of the Magi, or Magi, whichever however, which way, way you wish to pronounce it. And uh, I will read it through in its entirety, and then I will go through more slowly and make some observations. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of year for a journey, and such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter And the camel's gall, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women. And the night fires going out and the lack of shelters. The city's hostile and the town's unfriendly. And the village's dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. In the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. And at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees on a low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door, dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, and so we continued and arrived in an evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place. It was, you might say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again, but this set down, this set down. This, were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, 
but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. Okay, there it is. It's a, uh, a short poem, especially for T.S. Eliot. And it's uh, the provenance, the, uh, the story behind the poem is, is rather interesting. Uh, it was written, or at least it was published, in 1927. Now, the year before, uh, T.S. Eliot had become Christian, but he had not announced anything publicly. Um, so this poem sort of served as his announcement of his Christianity, much to the consternation of his avant-garde friends. So Eliot had, had made quite a splash on the scene um, with his poem, uh, The Wasteland. Um, and become quite the darling um, of, uh, of modernists. And the last thing that they expected uh, was to him to become a Christian and uh, uh, would soon become a parent, not only a Christian, but the most traditional type possible, an Anglo-Catholic. Um, Eliot later described himself as an Anglo-Catholic in religion, a monarchist in politics, and a classicist in literature. Uh, perhaps it was his classicism in, in literature, which was always apparent. And from the very beginning, he used lots of quotations from Dante, uh, other other authors. Um, so perhaps uh, they should have seen this this coming. Uh, but nevertheless, they were uh, they were dismayed. The uh, his former friends. Uh, don't know that if he suffered for it, but by this time he he had been working in a bank uh, right after the war, and I believe he was still working in the bank when uh, Wasteland was published, or The Wasteland, excuse me. Um, but not long after that, he went to work for publishers Farber and Farber. Now they had a uh, a program <clears throat> where um, they would uh, they would publish works of poetry primarily along with. Uh, with illustrations. It was called the Aerial One. I believe that this poem, The Journey of the Magi, um, was a, designed for a Christmas card. Uh, I've seen the image. It's on Wikipedia. I'll, uh, I'll post the, the link in the, in the show notes uh, for this. So um, that was his announcement, if you will, of this. We'll look into uh, a little bit more about sort of where this poem came from and the sources that uh, that Eliot drew on, but let's uh, let's dig into the poem and see what we can get out of it. A cold coming we had of it. Now there's the alliteration, of course, with cold and coming. Um, also, coming can be a type of a birth, of course. Uh, we had of it. Note the passive voice there. And then uh, it goes into sort of a litany of, uh, of travelers' complaints. Anyone who's ever traveled, can, I think, can, uh, can sympathize with the three wise men here uh, and that their journey. It was the worst time of year. It was, of course, in the wintertime. Um, interestingly enough, though, there's no mention of uh, the visit with Herod. Uh, the, uh, the gospel account of this has, uh, has the wise men uh, visiting visiting Herod. Uh, I think I'll read that too after we get through this. So uh, 
let's let's go on then. A journey is such a long journey. The way's deep and the weather's sharp. So uh, it's the worst time of year, long journey, deep, sharp, the very dead of winter. And we're going to have this image of death uh, recurring frequently uh, in this in this short poem. And the camels were uh, were not uh, were not cooperating. Refractory. Uh, that's a light image, also refraction. I think it here means so they were just sort of bulky, uh, lying down in the melting snow. Notice it's a it's a melting um, snow. Uh, perhaps a turn. Uh, from cold, cold to warm, and then uh, they remember their their former life. They regretted. Um, active voice there, though we regretted. Uh, now you don't know who his companions are, even though he speaks in the plural. He never mentions uh, who his companions were. Um, we're going to see too. This is almost like an image of the old pagan world uh, coming. Uh, to see the birth of Christ, and uh, that could be more of what's going on here with the we rather than the the two other wise men, if you will. Uh, that uh, here it was uh, it was perhaps all of the old world um, lying down in the snow too, sort of an image of death. Okay, so they regretted the summer palaces on slopes, almost like. Uh, Image from um, Coleridge's Kubla Khan there, the summer palaces on slopes, terraces, etc. A little bit like, the, I guess, the hanging gardens of Babylon and so forth. Um, and rather than snow uh, and camels in the snow, uh, the image of what they left behind was silken girls bringing sherbet. Uh, so there again, sort of melting snow, if you will, but there it was uh, sherbet being brought by uh, silken girls. But the camel men were cursing, grumbling, running away, wanting their liquor and women. Well, I guess he he wants his silken girls bringing sherbet. They want liquor and women. So whatever. Uh, night fire is going out. The fire is going out. So the, the light is going back into darkness. Lack of shelters. Now, the Holy Family, of course, had no shelter in, in Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the inn. And then again, we're back to more travel complaints. We have cities hostile, towns unfriendly, villages dirty, charging high prices. A hard time we had of it, but they know they did persevere. And then they just travel all night, sleeping in snatches, voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Okay, so almost like a demonic force trying to keep them back. Um, and then the next stanza is a little is a little strange. Um, they come down to the temperate valley, uh, wet below the snow line, smelling the vegetation. This could be sort of like a return to uh, uh, the the pagan fertile past. There, uh, it, it's vegetative. Everything's uh, fertile, sort of moist, running stream, watermill beating the darkness. Um, I'm not sure this imagery really works all that well, though, because something beating the darkness, um, that would be light, I suppose, that uh, is prevailing against the darkness. Um, and then three trees on the low sky, uh, imagery of the three crosses at the crucifixion, an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Uh, 
possibly an image of the Holy Spirit. Um, or the old white horse could be a, um, sort of a pagan image again, I suppose. Um, tavern with vine leaves over the lintel. Um, could be Christ the vine, uh, the great vine, and uh, that the, uh, the apostles were branches of them and so forth. Um, six hands at the open door, dicing for pieces of silver, the pieces for silver, probably a reference to uh, Judas and uh, selling Christ for 30 pieces of silver and feet kicking the empty wineskins. No, they're empty. There's nothing there. Um, no information, and they continued. Um, and they arrived that evening. Now, there's no uh, indication here either how they found it. Um, but they um, they were following the star or something. Again, the Gospels say that uh, uh, they followed the star and it went to uh, rest over the place where the child was. Um, okay, so then he goes, he's obviously uh, the, the narrator here is remembering the story. It was a long time ago and we do it again, but sit down, this sit down. Okay, there's again, there's a scriptural reference um, of the, uh, the unjust steward who's going to get fired and uh, his, he calls all his master's debtors in and says, how much do you owe? And then they tell him something, he says, set this down. So that sounds like um, a reference to that. They were led all this way for a birth or death. Well, it was a bit of both, apparently. There was a birth. And by the way, let's see that we've got capital B in birth and capital letter D in death. Um, I had seen birth and death lowercase, uh, but thought they were different. But here, this birth was hard and bigger, bitter agony for us. And there again, I suppose it could be the pagan world um, that it was uh, that it was hard and bitter for, like death, our death. Okay, let's see, hard and bitter agony for us, like death, capital letter D, uh, our death, lowercase D. We return to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation. A uh, religious term um, that the dispensation is sometimes seen as Christ's redemptive work. And here they, they went back to their kingdoms, alien people. Now his own people are alien to him, clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. Now, which death is it? Lowercase d there. Which death is he talking about there? Is that... Um, Christ is born. He wants him to die in order to be able to complete his work. He wished that Christ had never come and dies an ordinary death. Uh, or is it the death of his people? Or is it the death of pagan ways? Or is it his, his own death? Um, not much help uh, here in the poem. But I suppose you could say it's, it's not a bad start for Mr. Elliot in his, uh, in his Christian journey here. Um, I always like this poem. I like the imagery of the um, of the bad travel. And uh, those of you who might be traveling this Christmas season, I hope that you don't have a cold coming of it, and you don't have to worry about um, towns unfriendly and villages dirty and charging high prices. Uh, that is uh, not a consummation devoutly to be wished. So I'm going to stop this and get my Bible and we can we can read about what the gospel has to say. I'll be back in just a moment. All right, I'm back. Now the uh, <clears throat> the story of the uh, the wise men is only in 
Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word back to me, bring back word to me, that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star that they had seen in the east went before them. So it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Okay, so... Um, there's uh, the, the basic story now. It goes on then, let's see, that's uh, through chapter 2, verse 12. And then um, we have about the, uh, the slaughter of the innocents, or sometimes called the holy innocents. Um, and uh, Joseph had a dream that um, he and the, uh, Mary and Jesus were in great danger. They, they fled into, into uh, Egypt. Verse 16, then Herod, when he had saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And then was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Okay, so... Notice in the uh, in the actual reading, um, there are a few things that uh, uh, are a little bit different from the popular imagination about the wise men. They are not called kings, um, but that is the way it's become, like in the Christmas carol, We Three Kings of Orient, and we don't even know their number. Um, the gospel doesn't say anything about it. The number, they could be two, they could be 15, uh, but the gifts are three, so that has been popularly associated then that there must have been three wise men. Also in tradition, we now have names for them, and uh, they're sometimes depicted as one young, one middle-aged, and one old, and also of three different races to show that all of humanity was coming uh, to worship him. And I've heard some hymns on this also that say something like, those who worshiped a star uh, were taught by a star to, to worship God, and so because they followed a star. Now, if they, the popular imagination is that they they came from Persia or the East, and uh, Persians sometimes seen as worshiping fire or heavenly bodies. Um, the Zoroastrians believed in a in a force of light and a force of darkness, uh, which somewhat fits with uh, what was going on with the wise men here. So. Uh, and notice there that there was a, 
a lot of death associated with this. There was the, uh, the babies that, uh, that Herod ordered to be killed. So that's what's in um, the gospel about this. And uh, you can't say that Eliot follows it all that closely. Uh, but there, there it is nonetheless. Um, now I want to go to a source which in addition to the gospel, and in fact, Eliot might have used this more closely. This was a, uh, a homily from uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, Lancelot Andrews. Now, Eliot studied Lancelot Andrews very closely. He was, uh, he was Archbishop of Canterbury under King James I. And I guess you could say he was like the father of Anglo-Catholicism. He one after the ravages of the Reformation, he wanted to bring back some liturgical worship into the British church. After he died, there was a great scandal because some incense was discovered among his effects. The Puritans were outraged by that. Now, that doesn't mean he was a Roman Catholic necessarily. He had corresponded with the uh, Eastern Orthodox Patriarch in Constantinople. And um, who knows, the Patriarch might have sent him uh, some incense. Uh, at any rate, uh, frankincense, maybe. Okay, so this is a homily uh, by Lancelot Andrews. It's called A Cold Coming. Preached between 1605 and 1624 before the court of St. James. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. Matthew, second chapter, verses 1 and 2. <laughs> now, for the venomous, they're coming itself, and it follows well. For it is not a star only, but a lodestar. That means like a, a magnet or something like that. Um, and whither should Stella use ducere but ad ium? Whither leads us but to him, capital H, whose star is to the star's master. All this while we have been at decentes, saying and seeing. Now we come to facientes. See them do some, somewhat upon it. It is not saying or seeing will serve St. James. He will call. And uh, that's a reference to the epistle of St. James where um, he says, uh, faith without works is dead. So to saying won't, please, won't serve St. James. Back to the text. He will call me, still calling for ostende mihi. Show me your faith by some work, and well, may he be allowed to call for it this day. It is a day of vidimus appearing, being seen. You have seen his star. Let him now see your star another while. And so they do. Make your faith to be seen, so it is. Their faith in the steps of their faith. And so with Abraham's, first by coming forth of his country, as these here do, and so walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham, do his first work. It is not commanded to gaze, stand gazing into heaven too long, not on Christ himself, ascending much less on his star. For they sat not still gazing on the star. Their vidimus begot vinimus. Their seeing made them come, come a great journey. Vinimus is soon said, but a short word. But many a wide and weary step they made before they could come to say, Venimus, lo, here we are come, come, and at our journey's end. Okay, so we see there, um, Lancelot Andrews talking about it was a long, difficult journey. Uh, Eliot 
um, expounds on that in, in his in his point. Uh, let's see, blah, blah, blah. Lo, here we are come, come and at our journey's end, to look a little on it. In this their coming, we consider, one, first the distance of the place they came from. It was not hard by as the shepherds, but a step to Bethlehem over the fields. This was riding many hundred miles and cost them many a day's journey. Two, secondly, we consider the way that they came, if it be pleasant or plain and easy. For if it be, it is so much the better. This was nothing pleasant, for through deserts all the way waste and desolate, nor secondly easy, easy neither. For over the rocks and crags of both the Arabes, especially Petra, their journey lay. Three, yet if safe, but it was not but exceeding dangerous, as lying through the, as lying through the midst of the black tents of Kedar, a nation of thieves and cutthroats, to pass over the hills of robbers, infamous then and infamous to this day, nor passing without great troops of convoy. Four, last we consider the time of their coming, the season of the year. Okay, you notice Eliot's using all of this in his point. A hard time we had coming at the worst time of the year. That's almost a direct lift uh, from the homily uh, that he uh, used in his first lines. Back to the text. It was no summer progress. Uh, progress is a king's... Um, a uh, formal journey, back to the text. A cold coming they had of it at this time of year, just the worst time of year to take a journey, especially a long journey in. Okay, hear that? A cold coming they had of it at this time of year, just the worst time of year to take a journey, especially a long journey in. So what does, uh, what does the text say here? <clears throat> back to Elliot. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of year for such a, for a journey and such a long journey. So almost a direct plagiarism by Eliot. Of course, Lancelot Andrews has been dead for 400 years at this point, so um, I suppose he couldn't sue him. Uh, the way's deep, the weather's sharp. The day's short, the sun farthest off. In solistio brumali. Okay, so that's the winter solstice, the very dead of winter. Okay, so he says in the homily, the way's deep, the weather's sharp, the day's short, the sun furthest off. Okay, and Eliot says, the way's deep and the weather's sharp, the very dead of winter. So again, he, he just took them almost directly uh, from the homily. Venimus, we are come, if that be one. Venimus, we are now come, come at this time. It sure is another. And these difficulties they overcame of a wearisome, irksome, troublesome, dangerous, unse unseasonable journey. And for all this they came, and came it cheerfully and quickly, as appears by the speed they made. It was but vidimus vinimus with them. They saw and they came. No sooner saw, but they set out presently. So, as upon the first appearing of the stars, it might be last night, they knew it was Balaam's star. It called them away. They made ready straight to begin their journey that, this morning, a sign that they were highly conceited of his birth, believing some great matter of it. That They took all these pains, made all this haste, that they might be there to worship him with all the possible speed they could. Sorry for nothing so much, but they could not be there soon enough. With the very first to do it, even this day, the day of his birth. 
all considered, there is more in Venimus than shows at the first sight. It was not for nothing it was said in the first verse. Ecce venirunt. Their coming has an ecce on it. It well deserves it. And we? What should we have done? Sure, these men of the East shall rise in judgment against the men of the West, that is, us, and their faith against ours in this point. With them it was venimus venimus. With us it would have been but veniemus. We will go see at most. Our fashion is to see and see again before we stir a foot. Specifically, if it be to the worship of Christ, come such a journey at such a time? No, but fairly have put it off till the spring of the year, till the days longer and ways fairer and the weather warmer. Tis better traveling to Christ. Our epiphany would surely have fallen an Easter week at the soonest. Okay, epiphany was um, uh, the, the feast associated with the wise men, uh, especially at this time, January 6th. And it's at Easter week, so he would've, they would have waited till, till spring. But then for the distance, desoluteness, tediousness, and the rest, any of them were enough to mar our venomous quite. Okay, so uh, he says about how they would have not gotten there until spring if it had been nowadays. Back to the text. But then for the distance, desolateness, tediousness, and the rest, any of them were enough to mar our venomous quite. It must be no great way first. We must come. We love not that. Well, fare the shepherds yet. They came but hard by. Rather like them than the magi. Nay, not like them neither. For thus the nearer lightly, the farthest off. Our proverb is, you know, the nearer the church, the farther from God. Okay, I haven't heard that proverb before. That's, that's interesting. I guess it's uh, there were churches everywhere in, uh, in London at the time uh, saying that even if they were close to church, they wouldn't go. Back to the text. Nor it must not be through a desert over no Petri. Uh, that's a rocky place. Or Petra, I suppose, which is in Jordan now. Back to the text. If rugged or uneven the way, if the other weather ill disposed, if any never so little danger, it is enough to stay us. To Christ we cannot travel, but weather and way and all must be fair. If not, no journey, but sit still and see further. As indeed, all our religion is rather vidimus, a contemplation, than venimus, a motion or stirring to be aught. But when we do it, we must be allowed leisure, even veniemus, never venimus, ever coming, never come. We love to make no very great haste to other things, perhaps, not to adore the place of the worship of God. Why should we? Christ is no wildcat. Why talk you of 12 days? Okay, that's for the 12 days of Christmas between the 25th and Epiphany on the 6th. Uh, again, Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. It was a big celebration in, in Britain uh, for the last of the Christmas days. Of course, we, um, in modern times, we, um, we start celebrating Christmas like uh, right after Halloween. And then as soon as Christmas actually comes, we're done with it. Um, I think it'd be nice if we could revive the idea of the 12 days of Christmas, maybe giving a present each day. But I don't know. Back to the text. <clears throat> and if it be 40 days hence, you shall be sure to find his mother and him. She cannot be church till then. What needs such haste? Okay, so 40 days after um, Christmas, it's February 2nd. Uh, that was the, uh, the date of um, when Christmas season officially ends 
it's the date of um, what's sometimes called the meeting in the temple when Mary and Joseph brought uh, Jesus to the temple and they met um, Simeon, uh, the great elder and the prophetess, what was her name, Anna? At any rate, uh, met them two there and um, we celebrate that day as, as Groundhog Day. Now that was an old Jewish law that uh, 40 days after birth, a mother was to go to the temple, if possible, and um, and be, be cleansed and to give thanks uh, for her child, that her child had survived. And some churches, including I think still in the Anglican church, it's an optional service. It's a beautiful service if you've ever seen it. And um, the child is carried by the priest um, through the midst of, of the church and uh, sometimes processed around the altar uh, with the child. So that is uh, the churching, is it called? She cannot be churched till then. What needs such haste? The truth is we concede him and his birth, but slenderly, and our haste is even thereafter. But if we be at that point, we must be out of this venimous. They like enough to leave us behind. Best get us a new crust mass in September. We are not like to come to Christ at this feast. Enough for venimous, for we come. And uh, that is the end of Lancelot Andrews' brief homily on, um, on the wise men. Uh, very interesting the way that Eliot um, not only uh, referenced this homily, but in fact just lifted lines from it. Uh, but I suppose his audience uh, wouldn't have been familiar with that. Or if they were, Eliot might have uh, thought it'd be good for them to read the homily. So uh, that is it for the, the short poem. Uh, the journey of the Magi. Um, I like the poem very much. It's uh, it's in fact one of Eliot's better known poems, more accessible poems. Uh, if Eliot is still being excerpted in any anthologies these days, the, the poems that are usually used are the Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, one of his very early poems. Uh, Wasteland, of course, would be far too large to get into an anthology. It's well over 20 pages long. Um, and then frequently will be either Journey of the Magi or Ash Wednesday, another fairly early uh, Christian poem uh, that Eliot did. And then uh, perhaps for one of his later poems uh, might be, uh, say, Little Gidding from the Four Quartets. Or if they want some whimsy, perhaps uh, some of his poems about cats, which uh, in fact were the basis for a, a long-running Broadway play by the same name. Um, so that's, uh, that's Eliot's take on Christmas and uh, the wise men. So yeah, I, like, I like that point very much. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, in the show notes, I'm also going to include a link to uh, T.S. Eliot himself reading the poem. That's on YouTube. I'll send the link. And uh, you listeners can decide whether you like Eliot's rendition better or mine. Uh, so next time, We'll return to Shakespeare, as I promised, and we'll finally um, be able to do. We will, we will then dive back into Antony and Cleopatra. So until then, adieu.